Yeah, we enjoyed our time this morning and uh, look forward to sharing some thoughts with you this evening, mostly on what we have been doing and what the Lord is doing in our lives and in some ministries we've been involved in. And uh, so that's the plan um, till about seven o'clock or till people begin to nod off, <laughs> whatever. So <clears throat> I'd like to read in Joshua as uh, uh, beginning point of maybe a bit of a challenge. I've been thinking recently of old men in the Bible. Uh, I'm not getting any younger. None of us are getting any younger. And uh, the Lord can still use people on in years. And I'd like to invite you to open your Bibles to Joshua chapter 14. Joshua and Caleb were two men who had divine viewpoint when they approached the promised land at Kadesh Barnea and went in. They saw the same giants and the same big cities, the fortified cities that the other ten saw, but they saw it through divine eyes. Yeah, they're big, and they're strong, and the cities are fortified, but we can take them. Let's go get them because God is with us. But the other ten, oh no, we can't do it, and they saw it through human eyes, human viewpoint. Now here, many years later, we have Joshua, at age 85, they wandered for about another 38 years in the desert after that Kadesh Barnea experience. Caleb, what did I say? Joshua, well, okay, forgive me. <laughs> I sometimes muddle up my words. Uh, Caleb, uh, here in this passage, and uh, about seven years of conquering and settling in the land, and here they are, and Caleb says, give me this mountain. He wanted the giants. He wanted the challenge because he was still looking at things from divine viewpoint. I love this passage. Let's uh, look at verse uh, 10. And now behold, the Lord has kept me alive. This is Caleb speaking. As he said, these 45 years, about 38 in the desert wandering and about seven in uh, the conquering and the settling of the land. Ever since the Lord spoke this word to Moses while Israel wandered in the wilderness, and now here I am this day, 85 years old. As yet I'm as strong this day as on the day that Moses sent me. Just as my strength was then, so now is my strength for war, both for going out and coming in. Now therefore, give me this mountain, of which the Lord spoke in that day. For you heard in that day how that the Anakim were there, and that the cities were great and fortified, it may be that the Lord will be with me and I shall be able to drive them out as the Lord had said. He's depending on the Lord. He wants those giants that he saw 45 years ago. And he's 85 years old. And he says, so was my strength then, so it is now. Now that's a miracle. It's a miracle. Why? Because let's read on. And Joshua blessed him and gave him Hebron, gave Hebron to Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, as an inheritance. Hebron, therefore, became the inheritance of Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, to this day, because, note, because he wholly followed the Lord God of Israel. We can achieve great things, whether we're 85 or 15 or 185, if we follow the Lord God of Israel, our Lord and our King. He can help us. And this was 
this was Caleb's um, strength. He had strength at 85 as he had when he was 40. That doesn't normally happen. When I was 40, even a little bit more, I could bench press 100 kilos five times. I can't get the bar up now. <laughs> the bar weighs about 20 kilos. I got some shoulder problems and I can't lift what I once lifted. One of our Colombian leaders said a few years ago, and he's about five years younger than I am, he says, with the same effort now, I lift half of what I used to <laughs> about 20 years ago. That's, I'm sure that all of us are over 50 or 60 are beginning to see that. So this was a miracle because he trusted in the Lord God of Israel and he wanted that mountain and the Lord will help me get that mountain and I'm going after it. So we can serve the Lord when we're 85, if we're still breathing, and we can serve the Lord at whatever age. What is your mountain as an individual? What is your mountain as an assembly? I think it's a good idea to have some goals. You don't need to go to seed on it and, and uh, uh, overemphasize it, but I think it's good to have some goals. How many people would we like to see come to know the Lord this year? Let's pray about that. Let's pray for the salvation of souls. Let's pray for whatever. It's good to set some goals, to set up a few mountains and see if the Lord will give us these mountains as Caleb prayed. So trust that will challenge you. And uh, I want to say a few things this evening about our ministry and activities in Canada, our trip to Cuba, and finally our recent trip to Colombia. Two weeks ago today, I preached Sunday morning, and it was probably 100 degrees with high humidity. And I didn't wear a tie. <laughs> I wore a short sleeve polo shirt, and I was still very warm. And I don't think there was a person in the place. We had about 100 there. It was the celebration of the 10th anniversary of the Prado Church. And we had about 100, 101 people. It was out at our new campgrounds. They sold the old campgrounds because the city was surrounding it, and there was thievery and all kinds of problems. And so they moved out, bought some land, and are building, and it's about three-quarters done. And we met in a, in a kiosk, which would probably hold, I guess, about 300 people. We were a bit of a, about 100, maybe a bit more, and we we're kind of up on one side and one corner. And uh, this will be a great blessing. They got a dining room and a, and a kitchen, and they got dormitories. I asked how many they felt the dormitories would hold, and they said about 200 people. I'm getting ahead of myself into Columbia, but this is where we were two weeks ago. <laughs> But what I want to say is that anything that we have done, that the Lord has used us to do, anything that we are, anything that we have is because of his grace and his mercy and his using us as instruments. It's just allowing ourselves to be used by him. First of all, our activities in Canada, when we left Columbia, <clears throat> and there was much prayer, I think I mentioned this previously, related to that and certain conditions related to the assembly there as well as personal conditions and uh, the tenant in the house and so forth. Uh, one of our priorities was our family. Most people that I know have some problems with their families. Uh, Christian leaders are not exempt. And uh, our oldest daughter, Shelley, has, uh, is living alone now after two divorces and a failed attempt at suicide. Uh, she married the son of the chairman of the elder board of the assembly that first commended us. Uh, that was her first husband. And he was a nice guy, quiet and easygoing, went to church and attended the meetings. But not long after they were married, he didn't want to go to church anymore. And a few years later, declared himself an atheist. And she said, well, because of that, I'm going to divorce him. And that was false. We all saw through that. And uh, 
her sister Wendy Doberly in Columbia, South Carolina wrote her and said that's not a good motive to <laughs> divorce and we told her the same thing but basically at that time she was out of fellowship with the family. She had told us to get out of her life, don't write, don't call, don't come, uh, you're hypocrites, you're bad parents, you're bad missionaries uh, and so forth and that existed for about 25 years uh, with us and with her sister and her brother who lives near Cleveland, Ohio. After these incidents, then things begin to change. And thank the Lord now we're back into a normal relationship with her. Um, she made a profession of faith, and I baptized her along with Wendy and, and some Colombian believers in Colombia uh, when she was 13. But she gives no evidence of being a true believer. Where she's at, I don't know. We pray for her to get right with the Lord, whatever that may mean, uh, true conversion, salvation, or just maybe she's terribly out of fellowship and needs to get back into fellowship with the Lord. But we thank the Lord that we've been back into a good relationship with her. She needs us now, and we've all gone together to help her uh, with different things, financially and so forth, to help her get a condo. Uh, Wendy in Columbia, South Carolina, and Conrad, our son, in, in Ohio. So this has been a ministry, and we're still helping her. She has a job, which she's good at and which she likes, but doesn't pay very much. And of course, she's in the Detroit area, and uh, jobs are hard to come by there. She has major health problems, fibromyalgia, chronic severe diarrhea, and uh, allergies, very severe allergies, and other related things. And so she's not in good health uh, physically uh, either. So that makes it difficult for her to even think about moving. Uh, Wendy has invited her to come to Columbia and look for work in Charlotte or Atlanta, and she would help her there, which was very, very gracious of Wendy to do. <clears throat> but because of her health uh, problems, it's difficult for her to travel and uh, to move. She hates Michigan, the cold weather and, and all of these things, and we're trying to encourage her to move, but she doesn't do it. So there's ministry there. There's real ministry there. We try to visit her as often as possible, four or five times a year, and help her out financially as we can. Conrad that I mentioned is our youngest. He's uh, 43, 42, somewhere in that neighborhood. He was born in 1972, so figure it out. Yeah, he'll be 42 this year. He's 41 now, okay. Uh, he made a big mistake, which he recognizes. He married an unsaved woman by the name of Holly. Uh, he regrets it, but he says, I'm in it now. And uh, it's caused some problems because Holly is not... Um, favorably disposed toward the gospel. She's very much against it. <clears throat> they have two children, now eight and ten, and Conrad was very much depending on us and hoping that we'd be able to do something when we came home. Uh, it's about four hours from his house, and uh, we praise the Lord that the Lord has worked. We were able to have the two girls, Tara and Maya. Uh, Tara is ten and Maya is eight now. Uh, they were up the first summer for day camp and attended, I think, four days of day camp. There was a holiday in there. That was their first exposure to the gospel and to anything churchy. That was uh, uh, last summer, the summer before, 2011. Then in January of this year, Priscilla took them both, uh, with Holly's permission, to see her stepmother in Beecher, Illinois, which is just across the state line from where the Anderson House is at the Cedar Lake Bible Conference grounds in Cedar Lake, Indiana. And uh, they spent the weekend there and visited uh, uh, Priscilla's stepmother, their grandmother, and uh, went to a little Baptist church around the corner. Priscilla knew little about or if nothing about, but it was a kind of a special day. They were having a special speaker to promote the upcoming camp season, and the speaker was very good. This was their first exposure to a Sunday school in a church, and they liked it. So little by little, things are 
beginning to, to prejudice or beginning to fall off. I should have mentioned the first time up <clears throat> when they first came and we had devotion, Priscilla had devotions with them uh, before they went to bed and we prayed at the table and the oldest one, Tara, said, well, you know, my mommy doesn't believe in God, like kind of like maybe I shouldn't believe in God either type of thing. But uh, she didn't want to pray, but Maya wanted to pray and she thanked God for the, the trees and the flowers and the birds and visiting grandma and grandpa. So this was, this was important. It was a positive experience going to this, this Sunday school. Then they came up in March of this year, and uh, we joined the Gideons. We're part of the Gideons now and are active in that. And so I had some Gideon Bibles there, and Tara saw the Gideon Bibles. She says, Grandpa, can I have one of these Bibles? And I said, you sure can. That's what they're for. Can I give you some homework? And she says, okay. And I said, read John chapter 3 and memorize 316. And she did, and she said it several times. The next day, I was up in my study, and she come up. She says, Grandpa, I'm hungry. I said, why are you hungry? She said, well, I was reading in John 6 about the bread from heaven, and I got hungry. And I about fell on the floor. It's amazing what can happen, the Lord working. So the next day, Priscilla was going to take them back to Ohio, and we were sitting around the table talking, and they were talking openly about, you know, Daddy and Mommy don't get along, and Mommy talks about divorce, and, and they'll probably get divorced sometime, but Daddy said he'll get a house close by, and we'll see him lots, and so on and so forth. And we got friends that uh, their parents are divorced, and here are these little kids, 8 and 10 years old, talking like this. I, I can't imagine that happening when I was that age. Uh, but anyway, here they are, and then the, the subject shifted to about God, and Tara again said, and Tara talks. Uh, in a four-hour four trip, she'll not stop unless she falls asleep. Maya's quite quiet. She's rambunctious and full of energy, but she just doesn't talk a lot. So Tara's talking away, yeah, Mommy says you can't, you can't prove that God exists, but then again, you can't prove he doesn't exist, so what's it matter? Who cares? Type of thing. That's kind of her attitude. Well, then little Maya types, pipes up and said, well, you know, we know he exists because he sent his son to die for us and God raised him from the dead. Now, we had the Veggie Tales. You've heard of the Veggie Tales, and they give the gospel pretty clear. And I heard some of the, what they were listening to. We had four of them that we had borrowed from the church, and they listened to the Veggie Tales. So through the Sunday school, through the day camps, these things were getting through to them. Then they came up this summer for day camp again. Five weeks, five days, uh, this one week, and I believe it was July, early July. And uh, we talked openly about the gospel and such things. And Friday, the last day, I think it was, I guess it was in the afternoon, Tara come up and we're talking in my study there. And I said, you know, it's really nice that you believe in Jesus. And they had declared themselves Christians, understanding, you know, that people that don't believe in God uh, are atheists and whatnot. And their mother didn't believe in God and they were concerned about that. So they declared themselves Christians, and they have some Christian friends. Uh, they live uh, eight minutes from the Parkside Church, where Alistair Begg is the pastor. You might have heard of Alistair Begg. He's a preacher on, on Christian radio, many uh, radio stations, and we attended that, that church one Sunday when we visited. So we knew there were, there were some Christians in the area, and we trusted they were good Christians uh, and uh, sound, sound, solid Christians. And so... We're talking about these things. I says, it's, it's wonderful that you believe in God and believe in Jesus, but, you know, we really need to personally receive him uh, as our personal Savior because he died to forgive us from our sins. And he said, well, Grandpa, I did that. I said, well, when did you do that? I did that yesterday with a counselor. So we thank God for that profession of faith on Tara's part. We know that Maya understands because Maya loves to put on these little skits for us, and she did three of them during that week. She'd get us all set up. One time was in the family room, and one time was down in the basement, and she'd get us all set up, and then she would just 
ad lib, you know, spontaneously talk about things and sing, and she has a beautiful voice. She's a vibrato, eight years old, singing away about God and about love and about sin and this and that, and enough in there that we understand, we know that she understands the gospel message. And in the, in the last one of these little skits that she put on, they had a little scrap toward the end of it, her and Tara. And I said, well, I said, you know, you've been talking about God's love and, and, and this, uh, these types of things. God really doesn't like it when we fight. Oh, she got down on her knees and prayed to God to forgive her for her sin. <laughs> so she's grasping the concept, and I believe that in her heart, she's beginning to believe, and we trust and pray soon that she'll openly receive Jesus Christ as her personal Savior. So it's a thrill to work with our family where there are needs. Our daughter, Wendy, we thank the Lord for her. She's married to David Dubberly, who's Mike Dubberly's older brother. Mike is with the Assemblies in Bogota. And uh, they're attending a, a large Presbyterian church. I don't agree with all the Presbyterian doctrines, but it's a sound, wonderful church. Uh, pipe organ, uh, a, a good orchestra, and a choir, and it's just a thrill to be there. We were there for a Christmas service uh, Tuesday of last week, and uh, it was good to be there for Christmas with them. And they're active in the church. They were part of a Hive-Off group church of about 2,500, and they were part of a Hive-Off group, and the Hive-Off church, which started about a year ago, now has 100, and they had 184, I guess, this last, the last Sunday meeting, so they're doing well, and uh, now our family's back with the main church, but this, today, they were going to attend the, the Hive-Off group uh, in another part northeast of Columbia, South Carolina, if you know Columbia at all, so we're, we're thankful for Wendy, uh, really walking with the Lord, and a godly husband, and training her their children the same. So I mentioned we're involved with the Gideons, an interesting experience passing out Bibles at my old high school in my hometown. You can't go into the high school anymore and do that. And uh, since the sidewalk is adjacent to the high school, even though the sidewalk belongs to the municipality, because it's adjacent to the high school, the high school has rights over it. And so they said you'd best not stand on that sidewalk but go across the street. So we spread out, five of us, and I went on beyond the high school, stood in front of a house where there'd be no problem, and we distributed 69 New Testaments with the Psalms and Proverbs that day. But it was interesting, one of the ones, not myself, uh, distributed in f near the school, a little bit closer to the school, and a girl took it and then set it on fire. Interesting. In a town of about 8,000, seven or about 10, maybe eight or 10,000 people. And it uh, just shows you what's into some people's minds. And, you know, maybe her father's an atheist and they're against the gospel. Or maybe she's involved in Satanism or something. But uh, the cops were called. A police car came. And uh, people went into the school to talk about it. I don't know what happened after that. It wasn't, wasn't a major thing. The fire went out pretty quickly. But there are people out there who do not love the Lord and are very antagonistic against the Lord and against his word. But uh, praise the Lord that 69 people did take of it. And about the same thing was said in that high school as in the, the high school in the next town, Grimsby, um, a few months before. Um, in both cases, and I don't exactly know the words, but when we went in to mention to the authorities in the school what we planned to do, they said, good, they really need it. <laughs> and so they agreed with the passing out, but of course they weren't allowed by law to allow us to come in and pass them out freely in the school. So that was interesting. A friend of mine fell over a year ago and struck his head and was in recovery in Toronto. We visited him a number of times. The place where he was recovering, uh, there were a number of people who do not speak English. One was from Uruguay, an 81-year-old medical doctor, speaks very little English, and it was thrilled when we went to visit them and met him there that we could speak Spanish. 
and a very open, friendly fellow. So we gave him a, a Gideon New Testament in Spanish and talked to him a little bit about the Lord and visited him on four other occasions. On the third occasion, we'd heard that somebody else had given him some literature. And oh boy, the Jehovah's Witnesses have <laughs> come in here as well. So when we visited him in his room, I made some kind of excuse to look for the, uh, the, uh, the book by John Blanchard, uh, last, last Questions, or Ultimate Questions in Spanish, which I'd given to him to, to maybe show him something in it. So I looked around to see, and there it was from Charles Stanley. I said, oh yeah, that's good, read that too. So this is okay <laughs> in Spanish. So we talked to him, and then the fourth visit, challenged him to make a profession of faith, and, uh, and he did. He prayed a prayer on his own. I don't like to pray a prayer and have them repeat it. He prayed a prayer on his own, uh, recognizing he was a sinner and wanted to receive Jesus Christ as personal savior. He asked some very intelligent questions. One very difficult question. His wife had died a few years previously, and he asked us where we thought his wife was. <laughs> Uh, so we kind of tiptoed around that one. I said, well, I said, we, we really don't know. We don't know her. If she had faith in God and had believed in Jesus Christ, her personal Savior, she has eternal life and will be in heaven. And I kind of left it at that and hoped he didn't pursue that line of thinking anymore. They were raised as Catholics and uh, strong possibilities that she did not know the Lord as her personal Savior. But I trust that Apollo's his name. I trust that he truly did receive Christ as his personal Savior. We're involved in a Hispanic group uh, in St. Catharines, and uh, that's been interesting. I believe I mentioned that this morning, and uh, we enjoy doing that, keeping up on our Spanish. So this is some of what we're doing uh, in uh, my hometown of Beamsville and the surrounding area. We're preaching in assemblies in the area and active in, in different things there. Priscilla's leading a volunteer choir, which comes and goes every once in a while for a special occasion like Easter or, or what was the other one? Uh, Anyway, there was a couple of other special occasions why they'll call on her to get this choir together, and it's been an interesting experience. Our trip to Cuba in February was most interesting. And I was going to bring, I, there's a book written about what the Lord is doing in Cuba. Uh, we went with a, a team of six, led by John Harder, who was the head of the faith mission with which we first went to Columbia in 1967. He's from my home church, and so it was very logical that we go to him and uh, went to, to, uh, to Columbia under that mission and then met the brethren and the assemblies in Barranquilla about 10 years later. After John retired from being the, uh, the director of the, the Canadian director of that mission, he began to go to Cuba. He's now 82 or almost 82 and he's made 41 or 42 trips to Cuba. And uh, the Lord has blessed him in a wonderful way. I've been for seven or eight years been reading his reports of tremendous growth, phenomenal growth, both in each individual church as well as growth in the number of churches. And so it was a, a real thrill uh, to leave Priscilla and I with the, these other four people and see it firsthand. And uh, the book written last year, um, 2012, by um, Urbanic, uh, what's his name? Anyway, I forgot to bring some copies along that's available in both Spanish and English about the Lord's work in the Eastern Cuban, Eastern Cuban Baptist Convention. I think it's the, the, the name, more or less. It was with the Baptists. And uh, we went to 25 different churches in that week that we were there. And every single one of the 25 churches was expanding, building onto the back, building onto the side, building on top. Some of them were only three or four years old. The one that was not building was in downtown Bayermo, 
downtown Bayermo, a city of about 300,000. When you're downtown in a city that size, you can't build. There's nowhere to go. You're in the center of the city. And that church, that Baptist church, Sunday morning had 1,000 people. Sunday evening, they had 1,000 people. And Tuesday evening, they had 1,000 people. I looked around. I said, there's no way you can get 1,000 people in here. They said, we do. <laughs> and I don't doubt them. I would guess maybe even after being in Columbia where we packed them in pretty good, maybe seven or 800, but they get a thousand people in there. That was obviously the first Baptist church of Bayermo. After that, we visited the fifth Baptist church of Bayermo. So we can assume there's probably a second and a third and a fourth. We had taken up kind of a, uh, a uh, what do you call it, uh, <clears throat> where you would bid on, on pie and cake, uh, uh, a dessert, thing to raise money for benches in the Fifth Baptist Church. And I sat on my bench <laughs> there in Bayermo, a bench that would hold five people. And there were 30 benches. And it was standing room only in that church. And they were building onto the back and building onto the top. And they'd built, they'd bought a little, I think they bought a little, little place across the street, which was just barely wide enough for the van to get down. And we call it a street. It'd be more like a little alley to house the bicycles, 50 or 60 bicycles. And you can't put them in your, your church auditorium. There's no room for the people, especially when it's standing room only. So they bought that for the bicycles there. And then we went and visited another one. I don't know if it's the sixth or not, and the Lord was working there. It was really amazing. Uh, every one we went to, there were, I think, five questions that were asked. How many baptized believers? And most of the churches that we went to, there were three or four exceptions, and this one was one, uh, were relatively new churches, and the attendance would be maybe between 30 and 80. So the question would be asked, how many baptized believers do you have? Well, we have 41 baptized believers. Uh, how many baptismal candidates? Well, we've got nine. How many new believers? Well, we've got seven new believers. How many cell groups? Well, we've got five cell groups. And how many missions? Well, we have two missions. A cell group is a small group which seems to grow into a mission. A mission is a larger group which is next to becoming a church, a new church. Now, they've got their rules and regulations. I don't know why, but it seems to work for them. When they have 23 people and any two of four organizations, between young people, Sunday school, uh, a ladies' group, and a men's group, any two of those and a leader and 23 people, then they can be called a church. They become an official church. Now, that's interesting. Got no problem with that. So they go from the cell group to the church, to the mission, to the church. And every single one of these had cell groups and churches. And they were growing. And they had baptized believers, they had believer, uh, baptismal candidates, and they had new believers, which would be soon taking the baptismal courses which they give. So it was really, really a phenomenal thing to see. We traveled two days with Marcos. Marcos was a marine biologist, a young fellow, tall, good-looking, and a attractive wife and two lovely children. He'd given up his job as a marine biologist to oversee the training of 600 missionaries in different places, about 12 or 15 different points where they were training with a curriculum and, and studies and so forth, preparing these missionaries to be leaders in these missions. 600, just, as my wife would say, it boggles the mind. And just could hardly believe what we saw and observed and, and so forth. 
So we thank the Lord for what he's doing in Cuba. They use terms that we wouldn't agree with. Uh, they don't use elder. They use deacon instead of elder, and they use pastor. I don't have too much of a problem with that. It's somewhat synonymous with, with elder, even though elder is used, I believe, 19 times in English uh, to describe or refer to the a leader in a church assembly, and pastor is not. There's the gift of pastor-teacher, but they use the word pastor. Uh, they don't use the word elder at all, and they have deacons. Well, we disagree with that. Uh, some of the other strange things they do, of course, they, I guess for many years, this is beginning to change now, and, and the writer of this book, uh, Kurt, is his name, Kurt Urbanic, brought out some of these things which you and I would agree with. Uh, they couldn't get baptized until a, a, an ordained pastor would come to baptize them, and some people were waiting for over a year to be baptized. And he said, that's not biblical in the book. And, of course, we would agree with that. So some of these things are changing. But those are relatively minor things. The key thing is that people are coming to know the Lord. And churches are being built and workers are being trained. Uh, we're in one church that has 270 people Sunday morning and 450 people Sunday evening. And they were preparing for a conference. They were had workers there adding bathrooms and doing this and that, a conference of workers where they expected 2,000 workers. 2,000 workers. And this is Eastern Cuba. As the book brings out, the work of the Lord is just as great, if not greater, in Western Cuba. But we were in the eastern part of Cuba. We flew into Olguin, and we visited Tunas, and Bayamo, and got partway up to Camagüey about halfway up to Camagüey, if you know Cuba at all. So it, it was just phenomenal to see these things happening and uh, the growth there for this conference uh, as of the 31st of December last year, almost a year ago now, they had 540 churches in the Eastern Cuban Convention, Baptist Convention. And at this conference, they were planning to add 60 more for a total of 600 churches. These missions growing and becoming churches, people coming to know the Lord. I asked how many would be the average attendance in these churches, and they told me between 90 and 100 people on average in these 600 churches. Phenomenal. We praise the Lord for how he's working in Cuba. The window is still open. Uh, my friend John is not able to go. He may be taking one more trip with Don Pickle, whom I know, he was a missionary in Colombia, and we, we knew him. He was with the same mission that we first went out to Colombia under, and he's now taking, uh, taking over where John Harder uh, has been doing, and he's made probably already eight or ten trips on his own. He had had a very successful trip this past November, and he'll be going again in January, and then again, I believe, in February and also March. And, and that's it. Then they do the rest of the year for preparing. Primarily what is done is they take funds, and material things such as the Gloria digital hymn player, Bibles, Sunday school materials and, and things like that which are hard to get in Cuba and money. They can evangelize. We, we heard of a group from Calgary that we're going to go down and teach them how to evangelize. No, they can teach us how to evangelize. They have no problem evangelizing and preparing their people and training workers. What they need is financial help to buy benches, to buy bicycles for their pastors as they call them. Uh, we would call them elders. To build churches, church buildings to add to the building they meet in and so forth. And so each time the trip uh, takes place, uh, there's funds given. They have to make out uh, sort of a requisition, uh, what they want it for, every brick, every bag of cement, every nail, 
every bicycle, every bench, whatever they're, they're, they're asking funds for is stipulated. And when it is approved, then there are two people from our group that hand the money over and two people from the church receive the money and a picture is taken and the money is fanned out so that you can see every single bill, the denomination of that bill, and it's all in the picture, and two people from the church sign for it and they're held responsible for that amount of money. And so people will go back and visit. Uh, Pastor Sumwell, who's our main contact there, will go back and visit. And he's a, he's a teacher in the seminary there and he's a busy man. But he'll go back and he'll check, okay, you ordered so many bricks, let's count the bricks and that type of thing, and make sure that they did build so there's no hanky-panky going on, which sometimes happens in, in places. So it is well run, well organized, the statistics, and like I say, every church we went to had all these statistics of the number of members and number of baptized believers and so on. So we praise the Lord for what he's doing there uh, and continues to do. It was expensive to go there. There's regulations, of course, this is communist Cuba. And uh, in order to go there with the minimum of problems, you have to go and stay at a resort. Because if you go and you stay with, in a private home or in a cheap hotel somewhere, uh, they're suspicious because they don't want tourists going out into the country areas and talking with the average person. And there's lots of tourism there. The planes are coming in from Europe and Canada and different places and uh, big resorts and big uh, you know, places for, for tourists to go. Uh, and so we had to go to one of these uh, and, and check in. But then we left and most of the week we're out in the country visiting these churches and staying in, in places away from the resort. Came back for the last night at the resort. So it was kind of expensive, very expensive to say the least, but that's the way you have to do it. Well, we just got back from... Two weeks in Colombia, I was two weeks. Priscilla went a week ahead to join the choir and surprise the choir, which she did. The choir, all the members, except one choir member and one of our elders knew that she was coming. And to keep that a secret among our Colombian folks who just love surprises and love you know, information like that was really a feat to do, but they did it. And everybody thought that Priscilla was coming with me on the 5th of December. But Priscilla went on the 28th of November and the choir was leaving on a short tour to sing twice, about six hours away. And uh, Priscilla got up at about four in the morning, as did the rest of them. They met at a, a church there, a church building, and uh, had prayer around five o'clock. And Priscilla went in there with her black wig, bought at Walmart, and dark glasses, and uh, disguised as much as possible. And I told her, I said, all they got to do is look down at your feet, and they'll know who it is. No Colombian has feet that long. <laughs> And, and it's exactly what happened. One of the girls sitting near oh, that's Priscilla, <laughs> looking at her feet. But anyway, it was a surprise. Uh, they all had a wonderful hoot about it, and they sent me a picture, which I showed at uh, Bible Truth uh, the next day. I think it was the next, yeah, you were leaving Saturday. Yeah, I was at Bible Truth that following Sunday, so I showed them the picture on my iPad. So it was a delight. And Priscilla got to lead the choir on, on one of the presentations. And then she went to visit her brother, who was a missionary in Colombia as well, had, uh, what, two days, three days with him, and then came back to Barranquilla, and I joined her on the 5th. It was for the 10th anniversary of the Prado Church, which when we left had around 60 or 70 on average attendance, and is now up to 90 or more. We had 100, 101 for the anniversary celebration out at this new camp, and uh, we praise the Lord for what he's doing. We got four wonderful men as elders, and there's eight men that can give a capable message on Sunday morning. So absolutely amazing. And one of them, Andres, uh, the Friday there, the, 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 the celebration was Friday uh, in the park with evangelism, uh, Saturday uh, at the, the, the church building itself, which is a house, and then Sunday out at the camp. 
the Friday night, Andres gave a tremendous evangelistic message in a, in a park two blocks from the church. The choir sang, and he gave this beautiful message. Uh, he has a real gift, dynamic, strong voice, clear scripture, and uh, just did a wonderful job. It was one of the best evangelical messages in open air I've heard. And we have another one that's done very well. Edouard has done very well in a similar situation. So we thank God for these men that he's raised up that can give a good message. And so we praise him for that. So Prada was growing, and we thank him for that. They're active in jail ministry, active in visiting the, the, the largest hospital in the city. Uh, I think there's three cell groups going on. We didn't talk too much about that. The men have a good group. I spoke to 18 men, uh, which was really a thrill to see. Uh, one, of the, one of the elders is leading a discipleship for the men, and so that was a thrill to see. Priscilla spoke to about, what, 40, 41 women. Uh, some come in from some of the other assemblies, but there was a good group, probably maybe 30 from the Prado assembly uh, on another occasion. Um, that night I met with the elders and they explained to me a few things which they have in mind and we talked things over. They asked my opinion about things and I gave them my opinion, but I told them, you know, I have limited voice and no vote type of thing. You're the ones who are in charge. You're the ones who have the authority and uh, you make the decisions. I'll tell you what I think and I'll answer your questions, but uh, you're the ones in charge now. We've seen missionaries have done it the other way around. They come back home sort of retiring or refocused, but they still want to uh, mandar, as they say in Spanish, they still want to order people around and tell them what to do down there. And I don't think that's the right thing to do. I may be wrong, but anyway, I think we have capable men that the Lord can use down there. And uh, so it was a wonderful time. We met for about two hours, a little over two hours. And then a couple took us out for pizza, I guess it was that night. Pizza, I think it was pizza or something anyway. No, that was the crepes and waffles place. Yeah, it was later they took us out to pizza. And this was one of the encouraging things. Uh, we had a lot of people express their thanks for our ministry through the years and for our being there now, and it's difficult to talk about these things without sounding like we're bragging and so forth, and we don't want to do that. All the honor and glory goes to the Lord. But not too long before we left Columbia, there was this Presbyterian couple. We know them for many years. I think they've been married now about 15 years. We were at their wedding, and I had preached in the Pres this Presbyterian church, Tabita, a number of times, and spoken to their young people's groups, and Priscilla had spoken to the ladies' groups. So they knew us, and we knew them, and we knew this couple really well. They had some serious, major marital problems. Uh, the elders at the Presbyterian Church did not handle it well. And they said, no, we do not have confidence in you. And I guess they recognized they'd made some mistakes early on. And so they suggested a Baptist couple who are trained in counseling. And they said, no, we would want, we'd prefer Bruce and Priscilla. And oh, yeah, we know Bruce and Priscilla. That's fine. So, so I called and talked with a pastor. Uh, I didn't know him really well. He's a new pastor. I knew the older pastor quite well, but uh, talked him over. I said, uh, yeah, we just discussed things together. And I said, we will do our best to help these, this couple, uh, what would be the term, to get reconciled and to get back uh, in their ministries. They're both very active in the church. I have no desire to see them come to our church. Uh, I do know that they're not happy with some things here, but I said, I will not in any way try to encourage them to come to our church. I will try to focus them back to. So we had a good agreement on that. So we dealt with them. And it was not easy. Uh, he's a medical doctor and she's a, a, a dentist. And uh, his work ended about 9 o'clock at night. That's usually when we're going to bed. And so they would come at 9 o'clock at night and we'd be up till 11 or 11.30 counseling them. Uh, sometimes twice a week. And then after that, 
phone calls, uh, me with uh, with him and Priscilla with uh, with uh, the lady. And it was it was a struggle. And there was ongoing things while we were involved in this for almost a year, six, eight months at least. But when we left, one of the key things that is etched in my mind, they had a, a, one tremendous farewell for us, or two or three farewells, but one tremendous farewell, and this couple attended it. And as we got in the car to go home that night, we saw them walking to their car hand in hand. And we were encouraged. I said, well, that's a good sign. We heard from him once or twice. He asked me where I had my, my truck painted before I sold it, because I guess he <laughs> needed to get his car painted. But nothing about how things were going. And I think one other time he sent an email about something. And then whether they heard that we were going to Columbia now or, or not, I'm not sure. But some contact through Skype, uh, we had some contact in, was October, no, it wasn't. It was before October. We left. We left Beamsville before October, so it must have been September, August or September. And we were talking to him, and I'm dying to ask, you know, where's your wife, or you know, what's happened with Liliana? How's Liliana? When suddenly Liliana comes up and puts her around her arm around her husband and greets us and says hello, and so we knew that they're still together. And so they took us out to eat, and uh, they're still together, and. Uh, the doctor told me, he said, uh, things are, are going along well. He says, we do have our struggles, we have our arguments, but things are going along well, and we thank you for your help. Probably the most significant thing, and I say this with some embarrassment maybe, his mother, who's a lawyer and who's the director of the big Presbyterian school called Colegio Americano for many years, uh, grabbed Priscilla when the choir was singing at that Presbyterian church one night and held her like this and said, Thank you, because of you guys, we have a couple that are still together and two children who have parents. That's meaningful, that's meaningful. We've had struggles, we've had times of discouragement, I'm sure the elders here understand that, have had the same thing. And sometimes you, you look at each other, boy, you know, is it worth it? And you feel like thrown in a towel, but there's moments of encouragement but the Lord provides for us. And a couple like this gives that moment of encouragement. We don't do what we do for accolades and praise. We do it for the glory of the Lord. And this couple knows that. But it is nice when you see some results of what you have been doing and the Lord working in these couples. And there are a number of other cases, probably none quite so dramatic. This was a very, very difficult and serious case. So. This is some of the things we're involved in. We are in close contact with the assembly in Barranquilla still. Barranquilla is a city of two million, and I challenged them uh, out there when I spoke. I said, Prado Church is no longer a daughter church, a satellite church. I hereby declare Prado Church an adult church to begin to have daughter churches of their own. And they hooted and clapped and were in agreement. I said, okay, go to work and establish more assemblies. With eight people who can preach and attendance of around 90, uh, they can maybe do it. Now, there's economic issues and there's other issues uh, and so forth, but it was a wonderful time. And we thank the Lord for what he's doing in Prado Church. And we'll be in touch through Skype, through chats, through emails, phone calls. They can call us for two cents a minute. 
For us to call them from Canada is like 30 cents a minute. But they can call us on their cell phone. And one of the elders, Felipe, whom I've known for about 35 years, wonderful man of God, just a dear, dear friend, he says, well, he said, I just left the main assembly. We had a meeting about such and such about the upcoming camps. I'm walking along so-and-so. Yeah, I know the place. He's talking on his cell phone for two cents a minute to me in Canada. So we're in close contact. So thank you for your interest and your prayers. I went a little over time. Forgive me. Uh, continue to pray for the work in Columbia and for us so that we would be useful in the Lord's work. Uh, we're enjoying what we're doing. Uh, I have time to watch the Blue Jays lose like you have time to watch the Dolphins lose. <laughs> we seem to be, be sentenced to the same fate. Uh, and we got some of your good players from the, the, the Marlins went up to there. They're supposed to be hot shot players and they didn't turn out to be that good. So we'll see what happens to the Blue Jays. But I enjoyed doing that, but we enjoy serving the Lord as well. Uh, and we'll be doing some new things, different things as we go back now, uh, related to missions and to teaching and so forth, and uh, are open to various activities. But we're out of kind of the pressure cooker, uh, which was the case in, in Colombia, and we're enjoying what we're doing, and the Lord has been very, very good to us. We have a comfortable place to live, and uh, ministry with our family is very important. We're praying for Holly's salvation. If that woman would just get saved, that would help the whole situation uh, there excuse me, in the house in, in Ohio. And we're praying for our daughter, Shelly. Remember her. Uh, there's been a big change, but there's still no interest. Now, before, if you would mention spiritual things or verse of scripture, she'd about tear you apart. You'd just get livid. And I mentioned something. We had, uh, we had lunch with her back in September, and I mentioned something. She says, well, she says, I'm just not interested in any religion right at the moment. And kind of a calm, objective voice. Uh, okay, I'm just, just curious to know where you're at. So there, there's been a change even there. So we're just praying that the Lord will work in her heart and she'll get right with the Lord and we'll go to heaven someday. Heavenly Father, we thank you for what you've been doing in our lives, in the Prado Church, in the Cuban Church, in our family, in other areas. We thank you how you're working in many places in the world for reports we hear from India, reports of conversions in Iran, which is a country closed. We thank you so much for what you are doing, and we give you all the praise and the glory for what has been done in Colombia, for what is being done in Cuba. We just ask that you would help us to be like Caleb, faithful and strong and working to serve you until the end. And Father, help us to conquer our mountains, whatever that may be, a neighbor who does not know you that we've been praying for, or a family member such as our daughter Shelley, who does not know you, uh, that we would conquer that mountain uh, in the year of 2014. So we ask your rich blessing on Boulevard Bible Chapel, and thank you for our time here. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.